everyone, and welcome to Speakerman Speaks Retail with me, Carol Speakerman. I've been knee-deep in B2B retail sales and marketing for my entire career, and I know how hard it is to stand out from the herd. So I launched my consulting business with a clear mission, create an integrated thought leadership, market positioning, and sales process so my clients can navigate B2B sales with confidence, attract the right partners, and be legit thought leaders, not just another vendor. Oh, and let's make it happen in one day because retail moves fast and there's no time to waste. My podcast curates fresh takes on the wide world of retail through my latest retail trajectories and interviews with experts who help us chart the course to what's next. In the last episode, I promised updates on the interview series that I hosted at NRF for KWI. In the interviews, 10 seriously smart leaders and I tackled all the shiny retail things over three days. And the insights were so on point that I'm circling back to continue some of those conversations. When I spoke with Casey Drake, the VP of Sales for Endear, I knew I had to keep the dialogue going and share it with you before we wrap up my people-powered retail series. Endear is a retail CRM and clienteling platform that hits that sweet spot where high-tech drives high-touch experiences. Casey is a self-described sales and customer success nerd who brings a much-needed outside perspective on the future of customer engagement. He questions conventional thinking and busts customer engagement myths with humor and heart. And I know he'll give you a lot to think about. So hi, Casey. It's great to have you. Hi. How's it going, Carol? It's great to chat with you again. And I wanted to chat with you again because I thought that the perspectives that you shared on all things customer experience were just so fresh and so needed right now. So I'm really excited about continuing the conversation. And with that, I want to start with a question that sets such an important baseline for everything we'll talk about and maybe even clear up some confusion. What's the difference between clienteling and customer service? I think the answer is it's way more proactive. It is clienteling is meant to be Sales. I would say it equals sales in every other world of business. We would call it sales, but in the retail landscape, and I would more specifically the luxury sort of apparel retail landscape, we call that clienteling, which is really just making sure that customer is having the best possible experience, whatever that looks like for them. I think the difference again is I'm going to go and make sure, I'm going to go outbound, I'm going to go proactive and actually make sure whether that customer has identified themselves as somebody who wants to be clientele to or who might be a little lost in the customer journey, I'm going to go double check and just make sure of that, that they are happy with their last purchase, that they are aware of our sales that are going on, that they know how to use our buy now, pay later function if they want to buy that thing that they've had their eye on. So reaching out to be like, hey, I'm here to be customer service, but I'm going to go get you instead of waiting for you to come and ask me. I like that distinction, the distinction between proactive versus just reactive. And customer service does tend to be, even though I think a lot of retailers and brands would love it if it weren't that way, but customer service does tend to be more of a reactive proposition. And clienteling used to just be an elite concept that was reserved for those high-end brands and retailers, but it was executed in some pretty old-school ways. People had binders on customers and index cards. How has clienteling evolved since then? And, you know, has it been democratized in a way to where more brands and retailers and others will have access to it? What has changed the most is actually the retail associate 
who is like like the person who's actually working in that store, who's working that job of retail associate, they are what has changed the most. And in response, clienteling needs to change. I think the problem with clienteling today, really a lot of brands are kind of stuck in the mud a little bit with clienteling and they think it has to be what it was in the 80s or you know even earlier than that. So Marvelous Miss Maisel is one of my favorite shows out there. So funny. If you haven't seen it, you really should check it out. And if you've seen it, you know in the beginning of the show, she is this 60s, 50s era housewife sort of role who then is going and getting a job at the department store. And that department store environment is a hustling environment. Those ladies are salespeople. They know all their clients. They know their daughter's names. They know their sister's names. They know all their friends and their friend groups. And that is how they work their job. That is how they're making their money. They're hustling and they're getting those clients, building those relationships. Who is filling that role of retail associate today? So we need to sort of accept that first. I think that's the first thing to democratize in clienteling is let's accept who we are putting in these roles of retail associate and honestly, who makes the most sense to play the role of retail associate, which I think is not necessarily that hunter person. I think sometimes maybe a really, really specialized luxury retail, that would make sense. But I think the best retail associates are your best friend in 30 seconds. They're that kind of person that once you meet them, you are like, wow, like this person's great. Like they are, they just know how to read a room. They're really, really great in social interactions and they're really organized because retail today is foot traffic comes in. I need to get that foot traffic out the door with something in their hands in a like really efficient way. It is much less of that slow sort of build a client book process. So that's what the retailer wants. They sort of need to be willing to let clienteling adapt to be that as well. That's great. And I love the point and the the reference to the show, the fact that clienteling really has always been a grassroots thing. It's always been driven by store associates. It was just fundamentally about salespeople, going back to it being about sales, just using whatever tools were available and at their disposal to get creative to drive sales. It wasn't brought down from on high, even though, of course, management and corporate benefited very heavily from the efforts of associates. How do you close the gap between store associates that really are anxious to use any of the new tools that you'll throw at them and those that might be a little bit more reluctant? I think that's where like leadership, it really comes in. I've seen it done at the individual store manager level. I think having great store managers requires having a really great hiring process and like really valuing those store managers, paying them well and everything that comes with that. So I will say it's more rare that I see this sort of strategizing at the store manager level. Most of the time they're playing in the clienteling world, sort of that same role that any individual associate would play. Where you need to strategize though and where the leadership comes into play, that area manager, director of retail, marketing teams can even get involved is the technology lets you set up that first message to go out on that associate's behalf. I would say we use this in the B2B world all the time already. So in my sales world, we're constantly setting up these triggers and these sort of moments in time that a message, an email goes out to somebody. If Carol switches jobs and is now working at this customer over here in this other role, I immediately get a notification to send Carol an email about, you know, hey, saw you switch jobs, congratulations, so on and so forth. All of that can be triggered in automatic. 
but we don't use, like we're so hesitant to use any of that for some reason in the retail world. And I think democratizing clienteling is basically saying, okay, we agree. We have hired you to be this person that accepts inbound foot traffic. And now we're asking you to be outbound. We're going to actually do the outbound part for you. And then we're going to have you play the same role in the clienteling world that we ask you to play in your actual store, which is you can just sit there and wait for responses to come back. We're trying to set up these moments for digital foot traffic where the admin team sets up a thank you message that goes out two days after a purchase and a lapsing customer message that goes out three months after their most recent purchase and a Valentine's Day special that goes out two days before Valentine's Day to everybody that bought the last holiday special we ran. All these things are in your data and can be set up to be automatic. And then you just tell the store teams, hey, these messages go out on your behalf based on these different moments and these different criteria. You just need to monitor this inbox. Just check this inbox and see if people respond. Once they respond, now it's your job to take that from there. Now you own that and you are their person, right? Once they walk through the door of their store, now that's your relationship from there. Marketing gets them all the way into the store. You take the relationship from there. Same thing, but over email and text. Obviously, there must be a training component, though, but I think that's great that it's more a matter of framing and just saying, hey, here's your role, and then we've got the rest. And perhaps that does increase the receptivity to them using those tools. What's awesome about the training component, though, is it's the same training you should be doing already for somebody who you're just going to put in your store anyway. So It doesn't change. Exactly, because it's an inbound, somebody walks in, somebody messages in, take it from here. Here's how we talk as a brand. Here's our product slide. Here's everything you might need to know that that person might ask you. But you are right to actually be proactive and to ask that associate to do that does require, I think, additional training beyond what you would already get as an associate. Where do you see those handoffs between automation and human intervention? How would you articulate those handoffs? So I'm going to be cautious about using the word opt-in because when you say opt-in, everybody thinks marketing, opting in. So when the customer is sort of like opting in to engagement or maybe like we could say showing engagement, showing signs of engagement, the most clear-cut way I have found to define this is responding. Once they reply to a message, that is for sure the most clear-cut moment that an associate should be stepping in or any human on your team should be stepping in and taking it from there. That customer is taking their time to write out manual messages and try to talk to your team. You should give them a human back on your side. Either make people send you an email and tell them you'll get back to them later, or put a live chat associate on here and have it be a real person, right? Like if I'm gonna take my time to chat, don't just give me a robot back. Automation should take over once the customer is like giving up something, they're giving up a little bit of their time. The other example of that is any form that you can have them fill out anywhere. So a style quiz, an appointment booking, any moment that you can make them put information in and click submit on something, that's a moment that I think is also a great engagement moment. Associates should be stepping in and saying something now because they did this for us. They gave us some info here. They showed that they want to be interacted with. Great. So meet them where they are and in the way that they're meeting you. Yep. And I think relevance. I've been using this phrase a lot with my customers recently. I think we talked about this a little bit at our last chat at NRF. 
everybody in retail is focused on personalized, personalized, personalization. I think it's about relevance, not personalization. So it's about reaching them at the right moment in time rather than knowing a billion things about them and then showing them in that message that you knew those billion things about them. It's really about they were interested and we knew that because of XYZ. How do you message to your customers in a way that is scalable, but also doesn't seem generic? And let me add on another thing to the wish list, which would be while also maintaining your unique brand voice. It's the moments of relevance, I think, are what let you do that. I think like listeners of this probably have already at some point looked up in Deer. We're kind of like a retail CRM clienteling tool. I like to say retail CRM because I think sort of what we're doing is a little bit more than what people think of as clienteling. But here's a real example I see that's the difference between relevance and personalization, which is if I know you have previously bought from one of my holiday collections, let's say we're talking about a jewelry brand, maybe for example here, I do these different holiday special collections. I can filter and know in my data that you bought from one of my other holiday collections I can know that you bought it at this specific store. I can actually even know that you shopped with this specific user in my account. And then I can create a lookbook of all of my Valentine's Day specials that I think you might be interested in because you've shown you're interested in other holiday specials. And now like that message I can craft to you where I'm like, hey, how have you been? And it's me, the person you shopped with coming from the store that you shopped at talking about the last holiday item that you purchased, all of that can be inserted into that message sort of dynamically. That message goes to 300 people, but it feels so personalized. It's like, oh, they, this must be for me. It's coming from the person I shopped with, the store I shopped at. They're talking about the Christmas bracelet that I bought a couple months ago. And they're referencing this really cute Valentine's Day one that I might be interested in. So it's like all those things combined feel so personal that message can be scheduled to go to however many people fall into that bucket. The personalized version of that is store team. Here's a list. Go one by one down this list and mention, you know, something they bought in the past and mention maybe a note that you took about them on their profile or team, keep a client book and go reach out to the client book about our Valentine's Day special. Then the question becomes, how many of the associates on your team have really kept that client book and have really have notes in there that they can then bring up in that message? And then on top of that, does that note even really make a difference compared to the message I just described? That's where I get to with customers. And I won't lie to you. It's a battle. I'll ask questions like, so you give your team this list and you give them a good template to start with. How much do they change that template? Be honest with me. Like, are, are they just sending that template to that list that you gave them? And they're like, they're probably just sending that. And I'm like, so you could just press it for them. You're just making them press send when you could just press send for them. So it also sounds like a little bit like there's not necessarily that much new under the sun, that there are ways to effectively communicate on Moss without adding in all of those special flourishes that take up time and at the end of the day, don't necessarily move the needle. It's a numbers game. Again, in the B2B world, in our sales world, we've known and, and talk about this all the time, right? We do this in almost every single instance. Before the NRF conference that you and I met at, I sent an email to 100 people that I knew would just be at the conference that I had spoken to in the past. And that email was like, saw you're going to be at NRF, would love to catch up with you while we're there. It feels personal, went to 100 people at once. And so it's like, it's just a common sort of thing that we do. 
But for some reason on that, on that retail side, it's like marketing does blast messaging, retail associates do one-on-one only. And it's like, that's the way people feel like it needs to be, but there's something in the middle there, right? Great take on that. In one of your YouTube videos, you made another contrarian point saying that you don't really like the term customer journey. And I believe the reason you don't like it and listening through is that it's maybe too passive. So what is your alternative to the customer journey? Maybe one that's even just more clearly articulating what's at work. You know, I've thought about this and I know there's a term that's called, that's like a retail safari. We use it in our world, which is like, we're going to, basically we're going to go shopping. We say retail safaris that way our bosses let us do it on the clock, but it <laughs> basically means we're going to go shop around some stores and see some new brands and such. You would never just go on a safari on your own. You would always have a guide with you to help sort of show you which way you go, show you where the cool animals that you want to see are. And like everybody is going to have something that's different about their favorite part of the safari, right? Somebody loves the zebras. Somebody else was like the elephants were the coolest, but everybody still sort of got a chance to see all of that and got the guide made sure that like, hey, if you might like this, I'm going to make sure you get your eyes on it and I draw your attention to it. And I think that guide in this case is the, the sales associate in most cases, right? Again, and if you think about it in that way, it gives them so much more value and it gives these conversations so much more value because it's not just, I'm trying to get them to buy something. We put all this time and effort into this new flow on our website for customers to take a style quiz and then be presented with a lookbook and then blah, 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 and all these things, hours and hours of tech time and all this stuff I did as a brand to make this awesome flow that then nobody ever really uses. And it doesn't convert that well. And the reason is because you just need somebody along the way to just jump in and say like, hey, saw you took the quiz. Did you see the lookbook that was generated for you? Like anything catch your eye? Did you have any questions? And then maybe somebody's like, it's out of my price point. And you're like, well, we actually have this buy now, pay later service where you can pay in four equal installments if you can't afford the full sort of order that you want to get. You're putting all these pieces in place as a brand. You need somebody to help your customer understand the best way to take advantage of those pieces. I love the safari metaphor because, and it completely changes a perspective of what sales really is these days, which is serving as a guide with the understanding that no two customers are on the same safari or have the same preferences and they get attracted by different things and just leveraging that and working with them rather than just making it this flat on close a sale proposition. Yeah, totally. Ideally, if you think about it in the journey sense, the close of sale sense, that'd be like if your safari guide's goal was to get to the end of the safari as fast as possible. That would (laughs) never be the goal. Everybody would be like, what the heck is it? This guy's flying. Like, I didn't even get to see anything. Yeah, and that's why I have a problem with the path to purchase because there's so many other paths that can provide value to the customer and even to the retailer or the brand, even if they don't buy something. And especially now with the benefits of collecting data, filling out those forms that you talked about, you know, it's all good. Well, this series is about people-powered retail. So what does people-powered retail mean to you with everything that we've talked about? Tech is exploding. It still is today. And every single year, you know, even you go to these NRF conferences and you just like look around and it's like incredible the number of platforms and options and everything that is out there. And these retail brands as a response are sort of just stacking, right? They, they We call it a tech stack for a reason. They are just keep <laughs> piling things on top. And I think to get the most use and the most value out of them, 
it takes the people at the core. If you were to build a wheel and spoke of how tech helps your brand, everything could come back and then go back out from your associate being at the center of it because they are going to make your buy now, pay later work the best. They are going to make your cool, you know, smart fitting rooms actually be useful to customers. They're going to make customers use that smart mirror and understand what they can do with it. Every piece of tech along the way requires that human to get it where it needs to be, to make it the most helpful it could be. And a lot of times, the, the worst part of this is if you don't have that human there, it can make it, the experience like so much worse. I think the best example of this is self-checkout at grocery stores. The ones that have the best associates manning them are the best ones to use, right? Where whenever you run into an area at this, or an error at the self-checkout at the grocery store, and you're like looking around and you're like, ah, oh, man, like where's the person to help me? It's like, then it becomes frustrating. Every other time, it's the best in the world when you could just boop, boop, like scan yourself through. So I think that's a great example you could think of in, in reality where we see that. Yeah, and it can do a lot more harm than good. One bad experience can just blow the whole thing up. One thing you brought up, though, when you talk about smart fitting rooms and apps and all the technology, I think a lot of times brands and retailers create all of these new bells and whistles, and they have a lot of promise. But if a customer doesn't know they're even there, or to your point, how to use them, then it all falls apart and everybody can say, well, that didn't work. Yeah, you need people to buy in. I mean, a big example of this There's a lot of platforms out there right now in this resale space, and a lot of brands are trying to take some of that back. That one is one that really requires awareness, I think, for like awareness, teaching, explanations, sort of baby stepping a customer to understanding how to use the resale side of the brand. If a brand can do that, then I think resale can really take off. But I think it takes a lot of customer education. Yep. And who better to provide it than the store associates? Exactly. I think the biggest problem facing retail right now is like how, and by retail, I mean like brick and mortar retail specifically, is how we set goals. Far too many store associates that I talk to and stores that I work with are still just gold simply on what transactions take place at their point of sale system. And if that's how you're going to goal your team, they try to get people to only check out at their POS system, which would mean not taking advantage of a lot of these really cool options that you have. Well, what are some of the criteria that would you, you would advocate for that go beyond just closing a sale? Yeah. So, I mean, for example, with Endear, we do message attribution. So whether that sale happens in your online web channel, whether it goes through your buy now, pay later channel, your resale channel, whatever channel that sale is going through shouldn't matter. What should matter is how that sale gets attributed. In Endear, and this is a, a tough thing with a lot of brands in the beginning to sort of get to. I'll be honest, some brands just turn it off when they start using Endear. They're like, I don't want to be confusing. And I'm like, oh, it breaks my heart. But <laughs> you can, if you're, you as an associate send a message to a customer and you're interacting with them, and then they go buy something online, you get credit for that in our attribution model and our reporting system, at least by default, if it hasn't been turned off. And that's a huge one, right? If I'm talking with you in store and you're like, ah, oh, man, like that shirt is just so expensive. I might not have the ability to do buy now, pay later through my POS. In fact, I think like most of the time you will not be able to do that. The text is not there yet. I might be able to still get that sale to happen if I'm like, let me grab your phone number. I'm going to send you a link to the shirt online and then you can use our buy now, pay later function and you can actually pay it off in four equal installments if that would work for you. And now as an associate, I feel empowered to do that because I know my CRM or my system or the way my goals are tracked, I'm going to get credit for that still. 
doesn't matter if they leave the store and go buy online. I still get that. Well, and it goes right back to what we were talking about earlier in the conversation is that's real clienteling, which is to anticipate needs and proactively recommend actions that will get them where they want to go. Exactly. I think overall, the coolest thing I've seen come out of Endear being implemented with some of the brands I work with is like that that sort of morale boost or that that like efficiency of the whole store boost that comes like the people that work at that store really start to feel like I'm not just a cog in the machine. I really like I'm a part of this brand. Like I have an impact on a lot of things going on and I'm not just sitting at this store that's really disconnected from everything else. Well, and it would seem to also encourage creativity and make a store associates just feel more fulfilled and more creative in their roles. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. It's a, it gives them, yeah, gives them a sense of ownership because before you get placed, you get a goal put on you, but then you're kind of like, you're left to, to foot traffic. You just have to hope the foot traffic comes in that lets you hit that goal. And this sort of gives you a little bit more ownership over your, your own future and success. Well, hopefully more of your clients and more brands in general will start using the full suite of services and not cutting off the ones that really can make a difference in associate morale. And at the end of the day, they're bottom lines. Well, I end every interview with one question that I'll post to you now. What's next? Yeah, so what I see coming next is a huge investment in AI, right? I think everybody sees that coming next. It's like everybody is just going crazy about AI and what AI can do for you and everything that comes with all of that. But that's, I really don't hope that that's what's next because I think there's, like we've been talking about this whole time, in order to make AI work really, really well, you need the human and you need to be putting that human in the place where they can use AI in the best ways to make it work really well. So what I hope is next in retail is sort of a adjustment on how we are valuing stores. I think I've started to see it already, but more and more brands need to not just look at the bottom line of a store. That is like, it's the biggest heartbreaker for me because just wrote a blog about this not too long ago on endearhq.com. A store is a, it's a BOPIS location. So buy online, pick up in store. That's like an e-com fulfillment channel, right? That, ha- that doesn't hit that store's bottom line, but that's, a val- that's value that they add to the brand. It's a fulfilling same-day shipping opportunity. So if you have a store in a city, now you can ship from that store and give customers in that city way quicker shipping. It's sort of like all these different, I think, areas that stores now add value to your brand aren't accounted for still in the way that we sort of view a store. We just they do all these things and then we look at their bottom line and we go, well, did they did they bring in more money than it cost in rent and salaries and all of that? And it's hard to do nowadays when you get half as much foot traffic as you used to. And those customers that do come in are like, all right, great. I just wanted to check things out. You know, I'm gonna go buy it online. And then they're like, ah, like I missed that one. So there's just so many ways that you can be valuing your stores and adjusting the way that you value your stores that I hope that's what's next. I hope people start to go, wait, we're looking at things in the wrong way here when it comes to retail. We need to adjust the way that we set goals and value a store's performance. It makes a lot of sense. And you know, companies like Endear are developing the capabilities that allow for that more nuanced thinking. Yeah, I am still like relatively new, I would say to this industry for sure. I'm just eager. I want to see people look at these things and be like, oh my gosh, a store could be 30 times as valuable as the sales that just get done at that store in that day, you know? 
I think the pieces are starting to come together. I think that's the good news. It doesn't seem like a pipe dream. Casey, I'm so glad that we continued the conversation. A lot of new, fresh insights, as always, from you. And I would encourage everyone to go to endearhq.com. And not to mention, you have a YouTube channel, right? Also? Yes, I have a YouTube channel that's just Casey from Endear. Thank you so much, Casey. I look forward to staying in touch and watching everything unfold and following your insights in 2024. Yeah, thank you. I'd love to come back anytime. In case you missed it during the interview, you can follow Casey Drake on LinkedIn. And to learn more about the work that Endear is doing in the customer experience space, visit endearhq.com. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, you can invite me to your organization or event to bring conversations like this to life in your spaces. This is what I do. Retail B2B coaching, training, and executive consulting. If it has to do with retail thought leadership, B2B market positioning, and business development, it's probably something I can help you with. If you're interested in learning more about how we can work together, reach out to me at carol at speakermanretail.com, visit my website at speakermanretail.com, or email team at speakermanretail.com to book a discovery call. I'd love to learn more about your retail goals. See you next time.